This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Starfleet's mandate is to explore and observe, not to interfere. Had the mission gone according to plan, Admiral, the indigenous species would never have been aware of our interference. That's a technicality. I am Vulcan, sir. We embrace technicality. You give me attitude, Spock. I'm expressing multiple attitudes simultaneously, sir. To which are you referring? Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original series. I am Ken Tripp, and we have an exciting show in store for everyone. Beaming in from the Atavacron is our own Mr. Ataz. Jeff Harlan, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Uh, it feels like uh, we were just here doing this. It, it, it is. It's, it's odd, and it's that, it's that damn device you have, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. All right, also aboard, Mr. Zach Bohr is here, and he is getting more and more acquainted with the new and very powerful ship. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I was going over the uh, self-destruct codes, and I feel like they're a little simple, and I feel like we should maybe make them a little more complicated, but that's just my opinion. Uh, because you know, I think any hacker could figure out how to blow up the ship if, if okay. they spend enough time. <laughs> so, of all the th- you've been aboard for a week, and of all the things that you're looking at, you went to the self-destruct codes. Okay, um, yeah, maybe we need to get you back down to sick bay for a little psyche <laughs> val here. I don't know. It's a little scary. All right, so as we are recording this episode, today's date is Sunday, July 10th, and I would like to wish my son Zach Tripp. Yes, Zach, there's another Zach, Zach Tripp. Happy 25th birthday. He's half my age and half the age of Star Trek, and it is now official, folks. I am old. Okay, so as we get into this, this week we are talking about the movies, and we have... We have started with kind of this face-off with Star Trek The Motion Picture versus The Wrath of Khan, and then we've hit the search for Spock. We, we had a good story there with The Voyage Home. Uh, Star Trek V, yeah, we'll just move on. Star Trek VI, great show. And then last week, we, we were able to have a great conversation with Zach and Jeff all about Star Trek 2009, the reboot, and now the sequel. We're going to be talking about today is Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, it took a long time for this movie to come out. I think it was almost four years from the time that 2009 had popped out. We were all waiting anxiously for this movie to launch. Uh, it, it came out, what is it? Has it been three years already? I guess it has. Yeah. Yeah, almost three years, yeah. So um, Beyond is right around the corner, fellas. So as we get into Star Trek Into Darkness, I'm real curious, guys. Uh, what were your initial thoughts on this movie from you know, when you saw this and your reaction when you came out of the movie theater? Uh, the very first thing I said was, I believe, a, a tweet 
that I put out was uh, I liked it the first time that I saw it when it was called The Wrath of Khan. <laughs> and I, I said something along the lines that they needed to give <laughs> Nicholas Meyer co-writing credit. Yeah, this uh, this movie started out well, I think, and like as it progressively got deeper into the movie, like every act of the movie, like the first third of the movie, I thought, you know, this is solid. I love this movie. This is a, this is a fresh take, you know, on things, and and it, it's tackling some some issues about you know like you know, terrorist strikes and justice and stuff like that. Like there were some big concepts I thought in the first third of the movie, and then as the movie continues, it gets less and less sophisticated and more just copy and paste from. As you said, Jeff, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. You, okay, everybody knew. Look, everyone knew it was Khan. I don't know why they tried to like lie to us and say, oh, no, he's John Harrison. Uh, no, it's Khan. All right, we all know that. And there was a common... I remember when he... he uh, well, well, you know, we'll get into it later. But <laughs> we'll get into it later. But that I've, uh, there were some good ideas here. And I, I felt like, like the, the film just got lazier as it went on. And then when it was ultimately finished, I was like, man, we waited four years for that. It was disappointing. Uh, so... That's where we are, and I, but I'm excited about Beyond. But I was disappointed with Into Darkness. Okay, I think that's fair commentary. I think we were all. I, I think I'll I'll make the trifecta here. I I think it stand alone. It stands alone well as a good science fiction movie. It's not a great Star Trek movie, and I think for a lot of reasons that we'll get into as to what worked and what didn't. But my reaction to it when I came out was, oh man, this is this is going to be rough to recover from, and. Uh, you know, there were certain elements of it that we'll talk about that I really did like and some that I didn't. But overall, it it just missed the mark. And it's it's unfortunate because it really could have been something special. Um, its effects and all that stuff were outstanding. There was some really cool things that they did in this movie. But again, I think, uh, like I said before, it works for a good action thriller sci-fi movie. It doesn't work as a great Star Trek sci-fi action movie. So Let's talk about the positives first. So, Jeff, we'll start with you. What were the elements of this movie that you did really like? Well, I liked what they were trying to accomplish with the allegory for uh, the war on terror and drone strikes and, you know, the politics of the situation. And that was really well done. And I think if they had focused a little more on that and maybe used a different antagonist, I think it would have worked a lot better. You know, instead of revealing that Harrison is actually Khan, just have Harrison be Harrison. And I think it would have worked much better that way. Okay. Zach, what about you? Yeah, I have to agree. I felt like they got so focused in on doing Khan that everything that they were establishing the first third of the movie just kind of went away, and it became a generic literally they're, they're lifting dialogue from star trek 2 you know and, and, and cutting pacing it into the movie and and they probably thought i don't know they thought they were so clever trying to fool us with con they should have spent less time on, on that twist and now they're just you know went all out con and been like here's what we're doing i, I felt like it would have been stronger if they just either didn't use con at all or they use con and like use them from the jump like okay we're using con here it is instead and they just got so cut up in this mystery and all that stuff it didn't really work and and then, of course, Kirk dying and coming back at the end within a span of 10 minutes was very anticlimactic. Like, why, you know, and now we have magic blood and we have magic transporters and like <laughs> the, the status quo is completely jacked up. Um, so th- those were those were some of the the things that I that I didn't like about the movie. OK, so I was asking you what you liked and you went the other way. On oh, me. you're That's right. Okay. I'm so- <laughs> 
That's all right, man. That, that's fine. Uh, you, you, that, that was our next segment, and we'll, we'll, we'll be able to amplify on all the points you brought up. So that's cool. But were there things in there that, that, that you did enjoy or you thought it worked well and, and flushed out okay? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yes. That's okay. Uh, I don't know how I got off track there, but yes. Uh, well, it happens. I, I did enjoy the whole War on Terror analysis, you know, the social commentary. That's what Star Trek is all about. That's what it's known for. That's why it's been so... Uh, stuck with culture for so long and that stuff was great you know the moments where, where Scotty resigns because he you know refuses to let those torpedoes on a ship that was like a real moment between him and Kirk and you know the uh the cat the, the Captain Pike stuff was great like you know Pike you know kind of taking you know well first of all Pike calling out Kirk and Spock because Bruce Greenwood is one of the strongest aspects I feel of these movies uh so I, I love the scenes with him kind of calling out Kirk and Spock and then you know tell, telling Kirk that it's going to be okay son you're going to be my first officer that was like real good emotion there and um you know and I'm I, I liked Cumberbatch I guess because he's a great actor I, I don't know if he was the right fit but I, I liked I liked we had a, a, a strong he the Cumberbatch in this film was a lot stronger, better presence than Eric Banner was in Star Trek 09. So that was definitely a step up as far as the antagonist goes. Um, you know, like the music again, you know, the special effects were great. You know, so, so a lot of the, a lot of the dressing of the, the movie was great, but the, uh, you know, I already said what I didn't like, so, <laughs> so we'll just pass it on to Jeff now, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. well, he, I think, he, I, I think you hit yeah. it, Jeff. Um, you, you talked about that. Yeah. And and were there were there other things that you liked that that you wanted to focus on uh, as well? Well, I mean, I I liked a lot of it. It's just some of the execution that fell short for me. Um, you know, like mm-hmm. like we were saying with I, the, I think the for, con subplot. Yeah, I, I I'm with you. I think I think what worked for me was the very beginning on 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 Niburo, Niburo, I don't know how you pronounce that, but uh, the uh, the whole starship being underwater. As unnecessary as it was, it was still pretty cool when it came up out of the ocean. And, uh, you know, it drove the point home about the prime directive. And I think it started it on its way. I I think they, in this timeline, they really kind of do focus a little too much on on, on Kirk being a rogue versus uh, a pretty capable commander. But, you know, if you're going to be whatever he is, 25 years old, running a ship of that size, uh, that's probably exactly what's going to happen. I thought the, um, the 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 pieces of uh, you know where where Khan, Khan kind of worked himself in before we quote unquote knew it was Khan. Uh, the scene with the the Starfleet officer and his daughter I thought was very touching, and it was very realistic uh, in that sense. I don't know if it would have cost the lives of forty two to save your your child, but um, most people don't think rationally when it's about their child at all. Um, Pike, I agree with you guys. Uh, just just came across perfectly. Uh, he was Kirk's surrogate dad. It was a very painful moment when he was lost. I thought it was a very powerful moment when he was lost. Agreed. Both for Spock and uh, for McCoy, uh, Spock and Kirk, excuse me. And I thought the emotion, uh, you know, Chris Pine, he kind of reminds me in many ways of William Shatner, but I can tell this kid has got a lot of range. Uh, he was very convincing. Um, tears were flowing. Uh, you know, he, he he pulled that that off very, very well. And I thought that the whole setup and the anger that he had in going after him was fine. Um, and then, as you guys both pointed out very, very well, the, uh, the movie started to kind of lose it from that point on in terms of, you know, uh, technology and, and, and things along those lines. And we can get into the elements that we didn't like a little bit more. But uh, those those were really the elements I... I really enjoyed and and 
the the questions about doing things and justice and you know um there were a lot of things that that we'll touch on further too when we get into the the politics and the relevant themes for when this movie was made uh further on down but there were a lot of elements that that I think Jeff you said it best there were a lot of good elements they didn't execute on them well uh, I I think this could have been a fine movie with Khan it really could have been uh had they tweaked just a few more things maybe uh and and touched a little bit I, and and we'll get into the elements of what didn't work so we we can kind of hit that i know zach you kind of you kind of touched on it so i guess i'll just kind of swing back to jeff what were the things that really just didn't work for you in this movie this what were the things that just said yeah this was the lack of execution um it was that last bit of the film where they were just directly copying from uh star trek 2 i mean line for line dialogue copied over you know they changed who's delivering it but it's the same words and i can kind of understand what they were trying to do there because they're saying yeah the things are different in this timeline but these are still the same people and some of the same things would come out if they're put into a similar situation but at the same time it's a little bit too much copied um and the whole bit with them trying to cover up who Khan is and then the sudden reveal, you know, I am Khan and, or my name is Khan and there's no explanation given for who Khan is. So someone who has never seen Star Trek before is like, okay. And, Mm -hmm. and these characters, you know, they're, they're like, okay. And you know, who is Khan? There's no explanation given except for the phone call to old Spock where he says Khan Noonien Singh was, you know, the greatest villain we've ever faced. And it's like, that really didn't tell us a whole lot more. You know, we don't give any of his background about, you know, being, you know, this genetically engineered dictator from the late 20th century. You know, they can gloss over what year he's from because that's little mm-hmm. whatever. Um, you know, Enterprise did the same thing when they talked about the uh, eugenics wars. They just glossed over when it was. And, Gloss over that, but still go into the fact that he is a genetically engineered dictator from the past on Earth who was, you know, escaped from the, uh, the losing the end of the war into space and was, uh, you know, cryogenically frozen and they picked him up and thought him out. You know, they didn't go into any of that. And I, I think that uh, did a real disservice to uh, to everyone because you have no idea of really what this guy is all about without knowing that about his background. I think that's our excellent points. And and Zach, as you've been kind of listening to Jeff and thinking again, and you, and you named a lot of things already that, <laughs> that you didn't think worked that well. Was there was there anything le- else in there, or getting oh, yeah. into the specifics like he's specifically getting at? one big one that Jeff you mentioned the the phone a friend to mm-hmm. Spock was just complete shoehorned yeah. in fanboy service. And it's like, Oh, why, why do we have like, it's like, of course you want to see Leonard Nimoy and Spock. And now it's, it's, it's his final appearance as Spock. So I think we're going to look back on it with more fondness than we had in the summer of 2013. But that was so unnecessary. Like you have to have old Spock, Leonard Nimoy come in and legitimize your villain in this film. Cause you didn't do it well enough through the writing. Like, you know, we were talking about star Trek 09 and one of its strengths was it was pretty self-contained. Like there was all this, all the expanded universe stuff like comics and, and other shows. If you know that information, it enhances your enjoyment of it. But here, star Trek into darkness is like the exact opposite. If you don't read the comics or watch the shows or any of this stuff, 
you're going to go in here kind of blind and just they're, they're counting on your knowledge of the pre-existing Star Trek universe to to make their story work. And that's you can't tell stories that way. That's that's not that's not how it works. So that was the whole I am con thing. I remember in the theater, it was a big mix of like like groans and gasps. Like there's a few people like, oh, it's con. And, and like me and my friends like, yeah, 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 we know <laughs> we, we've known for a while. <laughs> so those are my big ones there. Yeah, I, I think for me, what was disappointing, and, and I had a few of them, uh, one was the use of technology in this movie was so far beyond anything we'd ever seen before. Beyond? And it, it, it didn't work, yeah. It just didn't work. I, I don't like the idea that you can beam from Earth to Kronos. That, 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 that made no sense. The time it takes to travel to the Klingon Empire was roughly a couple minutes at warp speed, and they never established warp speed. And in those, it, there, there's, you're right, Jeff. They they didn't take any time to solidify what Khan was all about, uh, his point, his past. It, they just gloss over everything. And this is where JJ, I think, falls short sometimes. He's so quick to get to the action that he sacrifices good storytelling. And... He certainly did that to me in in the Force Awakens too. I, I I know a lot of people got it the first time they saw it and and really enjoyed it. I had to see it twice. I had to reread the opening credits again and and kind of okay, who is this? Who are these people? How did this work? And he he did it in Into Darkness. He he just glosses over things where it's it's so simple to do, and I don't know why. Um, because if you're trying to pay homage to the fans then get some of the details correct. That's that's what gets me, you know. Why, what do you mean you can't shoot at warp speed? I was like, come on, they've, they've been doing that in all the shows. Um, it, 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 that's not anything new uh, to the Star Trek universe, so you've added something that, that was completely unfounded. Or, like I said, uh, you know, just, just spinning into oblivion and... I, I, I don't know. There was just a lot of things where, uh, you know, when you talk about glossing over, I mean, the, the, the vengeance um, crashes into San Francisco. Uh, you have to imagine thousands of people killed, completely glossed over as they chase Khan down. And a year later, where they talk about the rechristening of the Enterprise, uh, what about the rebuilding of the city? I, I mean, there was nothing. It, it, it was just... Um, it, it it was very lazy. Uh, you know, they spent a fortune on the effects. Uh, they, I, I, like I said before, I always assume good intent. I think they were trying to make a great movie. They spent two hundred and fifty million dollars. That's incredible amount of money to make a Star Trek movie. Uh, you can see where they spent it. Uh-huh. But why didn't they just take a little bit of time to kind of work out substantively? Uh, how things should work a little bit better because you're right in in the Star Wars universe you know they fly all over the galaxy at the speed of light none of it makes sense and nobody cares well in Star Trek there's all this history and we do care we like to know why all of a sudden you can beam from one place to the other uh, where that's never been able to happen and um, you know they, they, they kind of change the rules a lot and I don't blame it on the alternate timeline I blame it on lazy writing. Uh, I don't blame the fact that they miss Khan in uh, his history on anything as that they were trying to rush through those scenes where I think that kind of amplifying information is really important to the plot because the other piece is, all right, so he was genetically superior. Does that mean he should be able to leap 
the 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 you know uh, the equivalent of from the top of the Empire State Building down to the ground and be fine. Uh, that his blood can cure every disease. That doesn't make any sense. You you know if if you're able to come up with cures through those types of things without creating supermen, why wouldn't they do that? So there was just a lot of things in there. I I that bugged me. And then the biggest thing I I really didn't like was the USS Vengeance. I liked the design of the ship. It was cool. But I'm so tired of things being bad, given a bad name. <laughs> right? The vengeance. I mean, yeah, vengeance. Or it's, you know, dark side of the force. Really? I mean, is that is that really how they see things uh, in Star Wars? So it has to be the vengeance. I mean, come on. I mean, you, you know, you want to call it like the Bismarck or something and have fun with it. All right, I can go with you because you, you can argue those things. But the vengeance, okay, I guess it's a bad ship. Um, and that's just, to me, again, that's lazy writing. That is, you know, that's as dumb as the term Decepticon. All right. It's stupid. <laughs> it's really bloody stupid. So, you know, give give some people in the audience some credit uh, and, and, and think these things through. OK, enough. I've, I've said enough. <laughs> There's enough things I don't like about this movie. Um, all right. So we talked uh, already a lot about Khan. Um, Jeff, you said they could have just left it Jonathan Harris, all those other things. So, Zach, let me start with you on this one. So, Khan, was he necessary? Did they have the right actor plot line? What are your thoughts on that? Well, no, he wasn't necessary for sure. I mean, it might have been a more successful story if they had focused more on, you know, John Harrison and whatever his motivations might have been, and he would have focused on the story and less the character that got so caught up in the character of Khan. Uh, Using Khan in the second Star Trek movie is not a bad idea, you know? Like, it was just poorly executed, like you had said, Jeff. Good idea is poorly executed. Um, but I would have liked to see, like, a, a big-budget remake and spruced-up version of Space Seed more than Wrath of Khan, because you can't get Wrath of Khan without Space Seed, and yet we had somebody else find Khan. And because, you know, if, if the Enterprise had found the Votney Bay, right, then that you could do the research and figure out who Khan was, and through natural exposition, you could have explained who he was and what he did, and then, and then we don't have the complaints that we have now about not establishing his character. But if I recall, I remember uh, reading that Orsi or Kurtzman, they were saying that they were going back and forth if, if they could mm-hmm. use Khan or not in this story. And it kind of shows, too, because it, it works either way. So that it's very evident in the final film that they were going back and forth and couldn't decide. Uh, as for the casting, uh, like I said before, Benedict Cumberbatch, he's a great actor. I like to see him in stuff. And I think him as an antagonist here is better than Eric Bana was as Nero as an antagonist in Star Trek 09. That's without question. Now, the, the question is, is he the right actor to play Khan, right? And this is, this is a very complicated question, right? Because... Um, well, you know, also, I believe, and I've all this trivia that I say, I believe, uh, if I recall correctly, Benicio Del Toro was their first pick. I think they tried to get him, and that didn't, that fell through for whatever reason. And that shows that they were trying to stick with the same, you know, ethnicity as, as Ricardo Montalban, you know, which, which makes sense, even though Khan is, he's, He's an ethnic character, so, you know, Ricardo Montalban was Mexican, and Vincent Del Toro is Hispanic, so that would at least, that could have carried over. You could see this guy as the same character. Uh, As you can with all of the characters, I think casting was a very strong, a very strong uh, uh, thing for for the, the Kelvin timeline. It was a very strong thing. I think you can see all these characters as different versions of the original series cast. Uh, so, So they did so well with the cast, but... 
Cumberbatch is not Ricardo Montalban. You cannot get further away from Ricardo Montalban than Benedict Cumberbatch. Like the whitest white guy, he plays Sherlock Holmes. You know, so he's he doesn't have that uh, charisma. You know, so uh, you got to call it a casting fail because they didn't and they didn't even and they established this in the comic books, right? Oh, he had plastic surgery. They gave him plastic surgery, so no one would recognize him as Khan and Singh and all that. But why don't you say mm-hmm. that? You know, like I in the movie somehow establish it somehow because every fan when you when you go home you're like, well, he doesn't look anything like Khan, and that is pre. That is, you know, that's 1996, right? That is pre the Kelvin incident uh, and the Narada coming through, changing the timeline. So everything pre you know, 2230, whatever year it was, should be exactly the same as the prime timeline and the Abrams verse, or like, I'm sorry, the Kelvin timeline. So I'm still getting used to saying that. Um, so yeah, that's, I don't know. Like, I don't know if that's nitpicking. I don't know if that's me being too much of a Trekkie and too much married to the original version, but that's a hard thing to get over. You know, because Ricardo Montalban, you think of Star Trek villains, he's Ricardo Montalban and Khan is the first guy you think of. So it's a hard, it's a hard mountain to get over as far as accepting a new version of a character like that when it's so different than what had come before. Yeah, I think if they wanted to absolutely make it Khan, they should have said from the beginning, this is Khan. And maybe open up with like a montage cutting between what's going on on Nibiru and what's going on in deep space with this other ship discovering the botany bay and you have them pulling them out of cryogenic stasis and then you have a close-up of uh you know uh ricardo montalban's face like they take like a still picture of him uh from the 60s and like some piece of equipment goes over his face and then cut to one part of the credits when it cuts back it moves away from his face and it's been into a cumberbatch that would be, that's cool. I hadn't heard that idea before. That's a cool. That's a cool yeah. idea. I like that. Uh, just just to establish something. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I just. Yeah. Uh, and then you know, well, you could show him going of off movie. on some kind of uh, Section Thirty One, you know, Black Ops mission. You know, in the in the con comic, they established that Kronos's moon Praxis got blown up. You know, thirty years too early uh, compared to the prime timeline mm-hmm. because Khan blew it up in this timeline. Uh, and you, they could have shown something of that happening, you know, like he, uh, you know, set some charges and you see an explosion a la Star Trek six. And, you know, then he's looking up and he's like, I remember. Well, I feel like I feel like it's a problem of storytelling I don't know, in movies these days. Everybody feels like you have to have a big twist. Yeah. You have to keep characters. identities a secret. I mean, I think you can look at a lot of the same problems of this movie. You can look in The Dark Knight Rises. I think they, they made such a big deal of, oh, we're going to keep the Talia Al Ghul a secret, you know. Uh, and then at the end of the movie, they reveal that she's you know, Rachel Al Ghul's daughter and it's like supposed to be a big deal. But you don't really care because you didn't get invested in that character. And then she's dead 15 minutes later. So, spoilers for the Dark Knight Rises, yeah. right? <laughs> it came out like ten years. But it's ago. the same. It's the same idea. Everybody's so obsessed about these twists in these movies. I'm like, no, no, forget the twist. Just tell the straightforward story, mm-hmm. and I think you'd have a better end, yeah. end result. And you know, if yeah. you had done this and you had set up who Khan was, the circumstances surrounding his release from uh, the uh, Botany Bay and everything else was completely different than the Prime Timeline. And he would be a much more sympathetic character. You could even have made him an ally to Captain Kirk in this movie. Yeah, they could. They, they could have teamed up at the end. Yeah, that would have been great. Well, they, and they essentially did, and and it and it went the mm-hmm. other way, and 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 you knew that was going to happen. But <laughs> no, I I, I I hear what you're saying. To me, like I said, it's it, there's there's a lot of 
get to the action, get to the action, don't put any foundation. And I think it's so critical in any story that you tell that the foundation be solid. If you're going to build it on sand, it's going to slip away from you. And that's exactly what happened. All right. So I think we got we got our arms around con <laughs> or lack of con. Uh, just one clarifying question for you, Jeff. Were you thinking that Jonathan Harrison uh, would still be from that crew of the Botany Bay and that they would still keep that genetically superior? Because that's a big part of the yeah, storyline. That's another thing that I've heard other people suggest is instead of it being Khan, Nooney and Singh, they just pulled somebody out of stasis and he realizing that he's in this situation claims to be Khan, but he's not actually Khan. Yeah. 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 I've heard that. I like that theory a lot. I've heard that theory before. I like it. Mm. Okay. So I had mentioned earlier about the, um, the USS vengeance and, uh, I think I <laughs> uh, guess it's not the first time that name is shown let, up in let it out my thoughts on the USS vengeance, but I'm curious from you guys, what, what did you think of, of the design, the size, the scope, the name, everything? What, what were your thoughts on this ship? I was uh, a little uh, displeased with it. I, I didn't really like it. It was too, you know, many harsh angles on it. I mean, it's like, this is a Federation ship. It doesn't have that many harsh angles. And, you know, it's it looks nothing like any other Federation ship except for the basics of the design. Um, and, uh, again, they're making these things massively huge for no apparent reason. Uh, and it just didn't really click for me okay yeah this is the third straight star trek movie where the enterprise has gone up against a bigger more evil looking black Mm -hmm. ship you know and it's like that's so like you know to your point about the name ken it's so on the nose like this is the big evil ship you know i mean why why can't we see the great thing about star trek 2 was you know the reliant was a, a inferior ship to the enterprise uh, and so it, you know, Khan had a disadvantage, uh, so or at least equally matched, you know, and, and uh, that's that's the kind of back and forth battle you want to see. I mean, it, the Enterprise, I know it doesn't get destroyed in Star Trek 09 and Star Trek Into Darkness, but it comes really, really close to being destroyed in both movies, and then it finally gets destroyed and you know beyond, you know, as we've seen in the trailer. So it's like, do we do we have to do that every movie? Can't it would be really nice to have? And I know Star Trek is not Star Wars. I'm not saying it should be, but it'd be nice to have a, like a back and forth solid space battle between two you know equally matched starships because you know they have the budget for it now. The problem with the TV shows, you know, back in the day was they only have the budget for like two or three shots, and now they're like the shields go out or something would happen. But let's see, let's see, a, let's see an equally matched uh, ship. So it was really unnecessary for. Uh, the vengeance to be the way it was. I do, although I did like the transwarp drive, right? That was a nice, uh, <laughs> that was a nice callback uh, that it had that technology. So, but yeah, it was just it was just too much, you know, it's unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, they 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 hit on it that it was a dreadnought class, and we've seen that, uh, you know, that that idea of the the, the battleship. I guess uh, the, the Enterprise is always considered a heavy cruiser, and this would this would be the the big bad ship. And I I didn't hate the design of it. I thought the um, the primary hull was interesting that it was gapped. You know, it was all that the the Sarsa section wasn't. You know, like there. I guess there was space in between, almost like the the centerpiece was um, two aisles heading towards a circle where the bridge was. Why I'm not really sure, but it it, it added some it added some distinction. Uh, the model that was sitting right there on Admiral Marcus's. Um, on on his desk and that that actually gave me a better feel for 
how it looked uh, <laughs> than in the movie shots because sure. they always show it kind of up close. But uh, yeah, yeah, and, and I mean, obviously, it's it's major, and it uh, it gave for some, I guess, for some funny scenes with with Scotty running and running and running. That, that was really funny. I like it. So it is it is a it is a monster of a ship. Uh, there's no doubt about it, and and I don't mind scale. Um, and in you know when when you talk about um, bringing ships of war online or whatnot. Uh, if if they were just going to rest their hopes on one big ship to beat the Klingons, I thought that was kind of again lazy writing, um, not well thought out. Uh, you know, vengeance. Uh, I can't help it. It's just stupid. I, I just, it's just <laughs> dumb. the name actually kind of worked it, you for know, me in a bit because uh, in this timeline, they've been you know beaten by their enemies so many times. I mean, Vulcan has been destroyed by their enemies, and it, I imagine that it's not widely known that Nero was from the future, just that he was Romulan. And mm-hmm. it makes sense that they would build a ship and call it the Vengeance, because they're seeking vengeance for their losses. And the Federation is being taken into a very dark place at this point. Well, that's one guy, though, Jeff. You know, I mean... You know the whole. You have Scotty resigning because he's like, "This is a military operation. We're explorers, and yeah. you know, I, I don't think they've lost their soul. I think they've they've lost a lot. But you know, after nine eleven, we weren't naming ships like that. You know what I mean? They still kept the same types of. You know, they named it after states and presidents and things like that. The way we always have, and I always kind of. The Federation, to me, has always been kind of representative of, of the U.S., North America, or Western Europe, whatever you want to say. I think for irony's um, sake, they should have called it the Archer. I was just going to say that. <laughs> yeah, they I could have done that. that. But, you know, it, it could have been the Intrepid. It could have been a lot of names. Uh, the Excelsior. You know, even, there you go. Excelsior. Well, even, you know, British ships have, have uh, you know, they, they have an affinity for naming ships like the Illustrious and things along those lines. You, you could go in that direction. Um, but you don't you don't see a lot of ships out there with, with names like that. The Klingons do. Right? right, there's uh, there's a, there's a lot of ships' names uh, um, that uh, that translated to just that exactly, um, and that's why I was like, yeah, we we flipped it here. But okay, well, I, I one right, thing so, I did notice though is that in these movies, Starfleet was becoming much more militaristic, and that was much closer to what the way that we saw Starfleet portrayed in the 1980s FASA RPG, and one of the ships in that RPG was also called the Vengeance. There you go. Was There's really? a precedent. Okay. All right. I I don't know what to say. Mr. Ataz has stumped me again, so I still don't like the name. <laughs> so let's let's talk about another uh, character that was introduced. Uh, first, it was Carol Wallace. Uh, turned out to be Carol Marcus. Uh, what were your thoughts on, on on pulling her into into this movie? Was it a nice touch? Was it too much? What, what do you what do you think there? I liked it. I thought it worked. Um, I wish they'd left in the scene where she explains that uh, she grew up in London in this timeline, so that really is her accent. Um, and mm-hmm. London, we've learned, is the headquarters for uh, Section Thirty One, and her father was Section Thirty One, which implies that in the original timeline, her father was not Section Thirty One, so she didn't grow up in London. 
Yeah, the uh, the name you know, Carol Wallace was a reference to one of other Kirk's other love interests. Lo- Kirk's one of Kirk's other love interests back in TOS. So that was a nice mm-hmm. that was a nice uh, reference there. Um, the, the, yeah, she's cool. I mean, I I liked having more people in the crew beyond the original seven or you know original six plus Chekhov. Uh, you know, Carol Marcus being in this movie does make it like Star Trek two. 2.0 again so that that is a that is a minus i'd say um and then i was you know at the end of the, at the end of the movie when she you know joins the crew and they're like oh welcome to the family or something like that that was great i was looking forward to seeing carol marcus you know in further adventures but apparently she's not gonna be <laughs> in any more further adventures that's not this movie's problem but uh yeah i think she she served her purpose well i liked the scene with uh, her and bones on the planet where he was kind of flirting with her and doing doing what bones does uh doing surgery on the torpedo and all that good stuff and so yeah and uh when con broke her leg that was pretty hardcore too it was hardcore yeah 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 that's pretty much all i had to say about her yeah i I thought it was a nice touch actually myself i i i thought that she she added value to the movie and i just like the way it was introduced and spock was jealous that we already you know he already had a science (laughs) officer and and all that and i i thought that 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 played well and her character had had a very pivotal pivotal role in the movie so it was was nice to see that and and kind of pull in that connection knowing that uh you know that that they would have a son and all that so that 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 to me was was a nice touch i i don't think about too much about accents though that that's that doesn't doesn't bother me at all just just because to me um you know the original carol carol marcus could have grown up in in london and hung around with in a, in a with a certain amount of people for a certain amount of time and you start to lose those accents so you know that that's why i was like yeah okay it it you know the, the key was she looked a lot like um uh, was it newworth what was the name of the the uh, actress bb besh mm-hmm. B.B. Besh. Yeah, B.B. Yeah, I was thinking B.B., but B.B. Besh, right? I thought she looked a lot like her, and, and it, it, it worked, definitely. Um, well, we, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the underwear scene. Uh, what do you guys think of that? I thought that was unnecessary pandering. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Guys, I mean, the way I look at it is this, all right? Um, <laughs> it, it was an unnecessary, yeah. Um, it was in every trailer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it was in every trailer, and it was unnecessary. I, I, I don't argue that. The fuss that was made over it was way over the top. Um, it wasn't nudity. It was, you know, it was fanboy. Here you go. Here's a, here's a sexy woman type thing. Come on, guys. We're the original series. That was all they did. Um, but shouldn't we be much, beyond that, Ken? Huh? <laughs> shouldn't we be what? beyond that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We we should be, but I, I'm just saying. Come on, I, but object objectification happens all the time in movies. All the time, um, it was unnecessary. But I, I, sometimes I get a little bit frustrated with the Star Trek holier than thou attitude. You know that all of a sudden, oh, you know, you know, I I, I, I watch some of the things that that are on TV um, that are far more gratuitous than that. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think are wholly unnecessary, and that it's reaching an audience that you can't control, like kids and stuff. And you could oh say, "Okay, turn the channel." But sometimes you're watching channels that you think are safe, and you see things, and you go, "Oh man," um, you know. It's and, and to me too. I, I don't know. Maybe because um, like you, uh, Jeff, you you spent a lot of time in Germany as a kid, as a military brat, and I was stationed in Europe too, and. Um, 
And one of the things that I saw that was very different, their rating system is not uh, the same as the U.S. Um, when you're in Europe, there's there's comic books and adult books all next to each other. There's just a different maturity level. They they look at nudity and they look at sex very differently. And and maybe that's how I've kind of formed things in my mind when I was over there because when they rate movies, they rate um, more on the violence mm-hmm. aspect of it. And the MPAA rates it more. They, they Obviously, violence is a piece of it, but you look at PG-13s nowadays or even TV shows nowadays. Oh, my goodness. Um and and so to them, nudity and all that stuff is far less important because they feel it's 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 a lot less impactful. But violence, very different story. So, you know, was it necessary? Absolutely not. It was it you know something that made me say, oh, this movie's stupid and I hate it. No, okay. <laughs> so for 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 whatever it was, four or five seconds, you know, turn around or whatever. <laughs> All right, it, it could have been implied. It didn't have to be done. Right. I get it, well, but my, well, I, 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 really I thought the social it. media piece of it was so well, over the freaking top. With I was like, was get over yourselves. Went and it uh, further uh, uh, it furthered that image of Captain Kirk as. Being this immature, oversexed pig, exactly, and that was my problem with the scene: is that it, it, it made enough. him seem less mature than he should have been. I mean, he's the captain of a starship; he's supposed to have a, a mm-hmm. higher maturity level. And we went; they gave screen time for that, but nothing for developing the plot further where it needed to be developed. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I, I don't disagree with either one of you. It was completely unnecessary, over the top. Um, well, I just felt like it's one of the hot button issues of the movie, so we should have, you know, mentioned it. Now we have. It, we it was a hot button <laughs> piece of the movie. I also thought that it got way too much attention for what it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there were there were other scenes in the movie that were were pretty dumb uh, <laughs> that, that didn't move the plot along or left huge plot holes. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously this is the stuff that gets there, but like I said, some of, some of the, uh, the comments that I was reading, especially on social media and, uh, you know, and, and, and I'd raise an eyebrow and I'm saying, okay, all right, this is, this is what you write on Facebook, what you're doing 20 seconds from now on your computer. I, I, I'd, I'd hate to hasten a guess. So you know, shut up, move on. It's stupid. It was unnecessary. I'm not saying that to you guys, but you know, for, for all the fanfare it got, it's like, there's been a lot more controversial things out there that, um, that could have driven our attention, but it it was a good call out, Zach. Okay. Um, did they need to kill Admiral Pike? I don't think they did. Okay. Um, Because I think that, the the attack on uh, London was motivation enough to go after Khan, um, and they could still have the attack on the meeting, where you know all these other people are killed or injured, and you don't need to kill Admiral Pike for there to be motivation to go after this guy. Okay, Zach, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. As I had mentioned earlier, Bruce Greenwood is one of the strongest aspects of these films, and it's unfortunate to lose him as an actor and his presence as Pike and the relationship that he cultivated with Kirk over the last couple of movies. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's a hero's journey trope. Now they throw into so many stories, like somebody has to die in order for someone to like, you know, rise to the next challenge. And, and like you said, Jeff, that the London attack was a lot more substantial, I believe than the attack on Starfleet headquarters there. And, 
Uh, I guess they felt like they needed something, you know, to push things further over the edge. Uh, I mean, I, you know, and just from a story standpoint, they had made Pike the captain of the Enterprise again. So in order to get Kirk back as the captain, he had to be removed in some way. Maybe he could have been incapacitated, um, you know, made a paraplegic perhaps, uh, much, you know, to, to get him closer to his prime universe self. If all these things are fated to happen, right? Uh, who knows? But it just, I get the emotional impact. It was a great scene and, and all that. I just, I, I miss the fact that we're not going to get any more Bruce, of Bruce Greenwood's Pike moving forward. I hear what you're saying about not getting more Bruce Greenwood because I too really liked him. He's but one of my favorite I, I, I guess I disagree uh, as far as them them killing him because this is where the movie to me was was still pretty strong. It was still going in, in a solid direction. It was a very very emotional, very well played moment. As I said before, I thought that that both uh, Zachary Quinto and and Chris Pine did a magnificent job. Um, both the shock when he passed on, on Spock's face when he was doing that meld and, and Kirk grabbing him and, and crying. And the other piece of it, I think, that was really important about his death is it set into motion, was Kirk going to just get in that starship and blow him up because they essentially just killed his father? And that was the heavy point of it. I think that there were people that in other discussions I have seen, they were missing the point of why Kirk was so, I guess, bent on getting uh, Khan or getting Jonathan Harrison at that time was because they killed Pike. He, they killed him. He killed him and he could not deal with it. And he was not thinking rationally. He was so mad. He wanted to just kill him. And as everybody around him is trying to get him to calm down and to think about things, and Bones was trying to get the medical and fitness for duty examination, and he kept blowing it off, I think that was pivotal, pivotal, pivotal piece. I can't say that word. A pivotal piece in making sure that you understand where Kirk was coming from. Because if he hadn't died, um, that, that same allowing Scotty to resign, driving towards the Klingon border. Uh, when Kirk changed and said that they were going to arrest him and bring him to justice, it showed that he was mature enough to put his anger and his vengeance aside because if somebody like that, somebody as close to you like that, I don't care who it is, any one of us, our emotions would probably run the same way and we would want to do the same things. And I think it needed to happen in order to push that plot line. That's my thoughts. Okay, so end of story there. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm right, by the way. No, no I, I agree with you. You're right. The, the, and the payoff, you know, the, the big emotional payoff of this film, I feel like the philosophical issue is when Kirk decides not to shoot the torpedoes to go in there with a small team and, and, and get John Harrison himself. Uh, and so that and you're right, that would not have been such a dilemma for him had he not lost Captain Pike. So that's 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 a great point there, Ken. So the politics, uh, you guys have hit on it bits and bobs here and there when we were talking about the relevant themes uh, for this movie. For the time that this occurred, and it's still pretty relevant now, what were some of the themes that, 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 that really brought home Jeff and Zach? You both mentioned you know, the drone strikes and the things that we do today. Elaborate a little bit more on that and, and, and how, how it made you think about that issue. Did this movie open your mind to some things, or was it something you had always thought of before? Well, these are things that I've thought of before, but primarily because I've actually you know 
my time in the military, this is when drones were really starting to come into uh, more common use. Uh, and so, I mean, for me, it's something I've thought more, but I know for other people, this is something that could have caused them to say, say, uh, you know, this is something I need to think about a little bit more, or this is something that needs more attention that they hadn't really thought about before until seeing this made them think about it in that way. Uh, you know, and that, you know, we can't always just shoot off 72 torpedoes at a target um, and try to take out one person. Sometimes we need a different approach. Yeah, I'm probably one of those people that you're talking about who hadn't really thought about it much before. I mean, these kind of ideas of like, okay, vengeance versus justice and all that mm-hmm. stuff, that's obviously is, is a huge part of fiction and, and, and things like that. So so I've been presented with these stories over my life. And then obviously, you know, with you know with what America has been going through in the last you know few years, uh, th- this is a great, and this is why I love the first you know third of this movie so much, because like this is a social mm-hmm. issue that Star Trek is putting through a science fiction lens that you think, oh, you know what? That's what we're doing. Wow, I should think about that. And that is the whole purpose of Star Trek. You know, it's a parable. It's the examination of the human condition and all that. And when you think about it, you're like, oh, yeah, well, gosh, you're right. He shouldn't kill Khan like that. Oh, you know what? That's what we're doing right now. Maybe we shouldn't be doing that either. So those those, those are good thoughts to be having. They create conversation among people yeah. to take you down lines of thought that you you might not have otherwise been down so you know as as the layman here uh myself i i i would agree that 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 kind of you know uh just everyone has the right to a fair trial stuff like that you just can't go i mean that's basically being a you know authorized vigilante justice to just just start killing people without a trial and and that's great that they had that conflict here between kirk and spock and then kirk makes the makes the right choice um and then, to me, that's like the emotional climax of the movie, right? And then after that, we lose that whole thread of of the current events of the politics and all that, and and it becomes just generic sci fi action movie. <laughs> so that's what's disappointing. After that, we lose that. I agree, but I'll be honest with you, Zach. Even though um, you know I, I spent a lot a lot of time in the service um, and a few deployments to the Middle East, like Jeff, I it made me think I, because there's t- there's 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 two issues here. When you're at war, that's one thing. Um, hmm. You know, people are trying to kill you, um, and it's not like the bad guys that we're fighting today are trying to just kill soldiers. They're trying to kill soft targets. They're trying to kill our kids, our wives, our family members. They're trying to kill anybody they can, people in nightclubs. This is how they think. Hmm. Um, and and so from that end, you know, you kind of look at it as as, as, as being somewhat barbaric. And that that we don't fight that way. And but at the time this movie came out, up until that point, I always looked at it as well. We are at war. Um, this is where we've located the bad guys because the war we're fighting doesn't know borders or boundaries, and 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 we go after them. Okay, fine. Um, after watching this movie, though, I did think about it in terms of well, what if we weren't at war, and we had uh, let's say let's say Snowden. For let's just pick a, a a guy who did you know a tremendous amount of damage mm-hmm. uh, in the intelligence community, and we know that that, that we've lost um, some agents and some things because of him. If if he wasn't in the Soviet Union, which or Russia, right, which is Klingon in that in that in that world, yeah, um, we we there's no way we'd do it because we know we would bring a horrible uh, impact to us, and that's. And that's exactly what was interesting about this is because that's what Marcus wanted. 
right? If we launched a drone, a drone strike against Snowden today and we took him out in Moscow, just him, nobody else gets hurt, but we flew over their sovereign territory to do it, how do you think Russia would react, right? And that's, that's where it started to get me really thinking. So I thought that um, they hit on a pretty relevant theme at the time, you know, and, and it talked about, uh, in a sense, too, the, the motive for terrorism, you know, the, the striking back in kind um, and taking out lives like they did in Section 31. I mean, Khan was definitely making his point. Um, and it's it was a very scary point. So I, I thought, at, you know, this movie did hit on those things and it hit on them hard. And it was something that made me think. And when I, I see a lot of the, the discussions, especially for the people that really hate anything that J.J. Abrams has done with Star Trek. You know, they'll say, there's, you know, there's always the argument, oh, Star Trek's too cerebral, it's not cerebral enough, it's this, that, and the <laughs> other thing. And they'll say it all the time, oh, there's, there's nothing um, in, in, in J.J.'s movies that, that touch anything controversial. And I'll say, oh, I don't think that's right at all. I think, and it, I, it, you know, as much as I overall didn't like it as a Star Trek movie, I did like the movie. And I... Um, I, I I was I was in deep thought about those things because of that, and I was actually following a lot of Roberto Orsi's comments on the TrekMovie dot com um, mm. because he he got into it with a yeah. lot of the fans, you know, and 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 I was just kind of like this uh, this passive Star Trek you know trek movie voyeur just watching all of this go down and and he's got some really kooky <laughs> out there political views um you know and he's pretty steadfast and about him I, I'm, this I'm not in alignment with yeah. him by the way but it does go to show you that that there are people out there that even though they have different views they raise subjects that i think we should all be asking questions about and he did that in this case i give Absolutely. him credit for it and it, it's a very uh, very good uh, conundrum too because you know shooting torpedoes at this guy and taking him out from a distance it's easy and it's the easier way to do it but is it the right way to do it and that's the question that they were asking and they were raising in this movie and i think that's a very good question and it's something that we always need to think about when uh, we look at using this as a, a tactic in uh, in any kind of a military operation well that's that's where i keep yeah. going jeff i go between military and yeah. justice if you're at war, it's mm -hmm. one thing. And I do think there's a line between. Yeah. All right. I really do. I think when you're at war, they, they take no, you know, the enemy that you're dealing with wants to kill you. And you're trying to cut off the head of the snake so that they stop. In this case, Federation and Klingons, they're at mm -hmm. peace. It's an uneasy yeah. peace, you know, and it's like, does this... Does this trigger trigger mad? Does this trigger mutual assured destruction? Does this trigger whatever? And I, I think that that was what was interesting is because with drone technology, if somebody now wants to flee one country for another, well, we can still find them and, and take them out, and that's that's terrifying, mm -hmm. especially if you don't know for sure if this guy's innocent or guilty, or or woman whomever. So yeah, it it is it is interesting. It's. Again, we're thinking about it. We're talking about it, and I think that's that that's that's pretty awesome. And I think that doesn't mean your point of view isn't valid at yeah. all, Jeff. I think it is. I think I think before you push the button to to take any action, you best have the data to back yeah, it up. I mean, that, there's really uh, several other doing. movies that have dealt explicitly with that. You know, they're set in modern time. You know, with the uh, drones and the people having to make the decisions behind the scenes on whether or not to use them. And there's been a couple of movies that came out mm -hmm. recently on that.
Yeah, it's fascinating. Okay, so as as we move on in 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 the show, and we were talking, we we get towards, I guess, the ending of the movie. And what I'm talking about the ending, I'm talking about after, uh, you know, a year's gone by, and we see the the ships fly with the missing man. Uh, Kirk's back alive. He's giving his speech. Um, you know, Captain Perfect Hair, the only one not wearing his cover, uh, always drives me crazy. But anyway, so he's he's up there doing his speech, and I I, um, I thought it was a very potent piece. But w- what did you think about the ending? Was it strong enough, and was it a good setup for Beyond? I think it was a good setup for uh, them going on the five year mission in general. Um, you know, they're they're saying you know we've rebuilt the ship. We're you know they implied they're rebuilding the city. They didn't really explicitly say it. Um, and you know, basically it's like, we're rebuilding, we're trying to get things back to normal. Now we're going to go out and we're going to explore and we're going to get back to where we need to be. And I, I think that was a good setup for, you know, going forward. Mm-hmm. Zach? Yeah, I agree that it kind of reset the status quo for Star Trek and, uh, you know, assumingly, you know, the, the next the next movie would have been the five-year mission, and that's what we're getting and, and beyond. Now, obviously, they had laid some groundwork here for a war between the Federation and the Klingons, which we're not going to get, at least not in this movie. Uh, but the for, for the conclusion here where, you know, he's like, you know, that's not Starfleet's way. You know, we're about, you know, we're not about revenge and, and, and stuff like that. I mean, that's Star Trek's, always been Star Trek's message, and that's a positive one. And, uh, yeah. I guess I guess about setting up the next movie though I, I just I wish these movies came out closer together because I feel like the momentum you gain from every end of each movie gets lost you know especially especially between Star Trek 09 which was supposed to come out in 2008 if you mm-hmm. recall <laughs> you know so that's supposed to be December 2008 so it's really almost five years after you get you get Star Trek Into Darkness you get this film and you know all the goodwill and all the you know positivity and the reinvigoration of the franchise kind of faded away by the time we got this one which i think led to a lot of the divisive opinions about it like if we if we got if we got a new movie every other year right like a marvel movie or or, or something like that right we wouldn't be so we wouldn't sit and nitpick these to death the way they do and, and be so like disappointed and like oh man we waited this long for that um but since we have to wait three or four years you know it uh the the anticipation builds up and and our you know, we form our thoughts and our opinions and there's just so much so much waiting and so much waiting around so for this one yeah it's set up the next movie well uh, I feel now now they're going to be on their five year mission and then encounter I mean I don't I haven't read any spoilers I don't know exactly how it all goes down and beyond but they're going to encounter something and they and it becomes the sad squid they do so it's good to know that like they're assumably at the end of this movie they are out there and they have been exploring and that's what the comic books have been you know, telling the stories of their five-year mission. So that's cool. So it sets up that in a good way. And, you know, but there is no direct A to B, you know, cliffhanging correlation between, oh, I just finished Star Trek Into Darkness. I can't wait to see Star Trek Beyond because you don't really know what to expect at the end of this film. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I do. I, I and, and I agree. I think that the um, the speech that, that Kirk gives is very powerful. And Christopher Baca at one point on the Babel conference there was some discussion going in. I was, I was, I was reading, and he actually posted this the whole speech. Mm. And uh, it when you read when you read it, it's it's awesome. It, it what it does is it it pulls it back to the Star Trek narrative we're all familiar with, and it does it very powerfully. And 
you know, it was almost like it was almost a, a speech you you would think you were pulling from some from from <laughs> some historic uh, uh, admiral or general or something along those lines talking about you know what what we're all about and and I thought that it it you know the first third of the movie and the very end of the movie were the best parts of it because the first third was Star Trek I don't know what happened to the other two thirds but at the very end it all came back full circle and here they are you know grumpy bones not wanting to go on the journey the excitement of it all uh, Marcus being there uh, the ship slightly redesigned and, and and modernized. There were a few features, I guess, they changed to the to the warp not the warp nacelles, but the impulse power and you know all the things that us Trekkies like to look for, all the all the different changes to the ship. And I was disappointed in the movie, but then excited to see where it was going to go. In other words, it wasn't so bad that I went, oh, I don't want to see another one. I was like, okay, let's. Let's try this again. You got the first one right. The second one you kind of missed, but now you're back on course and target for where you should be. Um, if you had the same mindset going into Star Trek Into Darkness, we probably would have had a more, very different movie. So I'm, 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 I, I thought it was a strong enough setup for Beyond. I, I, I'm excited for it. Well, I'll, I'll say this about the end of the Star Trek movies. I feel like a lot of the James, the current James Bond movies, the Daniel Craig movies, like the first three movies. They mm-hmm. all end with like, and now he's James Bond, and now he's James Bond, and now he's James Bond, you know? And I don't think you needed that. I think the end of Casino Royale was good enough, and I feel like the end of Star Trek 09 was good enough. Like, why, did, why didn't they just start the five-year mission then, you know? So I'm glad to know now and beyond where actually are on the five-year mission because, you know, I feel like 09 and In the Darkness both started, okay, and now we're Star Trek, and now we're Star Trek. Here we go. So I'm glad that they we're finally in the five-year mission getting that, getting that payoff. Okay. So, uh, Jeff, any any final thoughts on Star Trek Into Darkness? I think that they had a good idea. It's just their execution was just a little off. I mean, like we were saying, it started off really strongly. It ended well. It's just kind of in the middle. They kind of lost their way. And I think it could have stood for a few more rewrites. Maybe figure out definitively if they wanted it to be con or not uh, and mm-hmm. you know, pick one way or the other and not try to have it both ways okay Zach now we've said so much it's hard to hard to distill it all down but uh, at the end of the day it's I enjoyed the movie as like kind of like you said Ken it's on its own thing it's fine but as a Star Trek movie it doesn't really fit in the Star Trek mold and and it just really goes off the rails there and, and near the middle so it, it, it took them four years to write this though so I don't know if any more rewrites would have helped I feel like this was the creative track they were on one way or the other uh, there, there are certain great Star Trek moments in this film they're you know pretty just generic sci-fi action moments in it too so at the end of the day uh, you know they, they as you guys said they, they missed the mark with the second one but uh, not to the point of like I'm done with this franchise. By no means. By no means. There's great stuff in this movie, and it's still a still a valid valid entry into the yeah. Star Trek film it, franchise. It's I not feel. the first time that Star Trek has missed the mark on a film, and it probably won't be the last. Yeah, of course, of course. Well, I, I think you just hit it right on the knock there, Jeff. I mean, it, it it wasn't the first time missed. It's just it's funny in the era of the internet and social media. <laughs> Uh, if you do miss, boy, you, you pay a terrible price. I mean, they, they beat the hell out of you. 
and it, you know, and, and people have very short memories. Um, and I think because Star Trek has been around so long, uh, it kind of like to my point with with the whole uh, Carol Marcus scene. You know, we, we kind of forget that that sometimes we lose our way. Um, we do something we don't need to do. Uh, you know, I'll even say they'll admit that they shouldn't have done things, and then they come back and they fix it. So I, I, I agree with that. I, I think that um, the one thing that, that carries it was the cast is awesome. It really is. An, they, they did a phenomenal job uh, with this team, and, and that's why it's it's so hard that, that we've lost Anton Yelchin because he was a great Chekhov. And John Cho is a great Sulu. And the rest of them just, they, they do it well. And we can survive a bad movie with this cast because they are so good. They do represent the original cast, I think, extraordinarily well. And I am looking so forward to be on. So I think the movie did what it was supposed to do at the end to give us hope uh, that they can recover from this miss. Uh, it's It certainly isn't the worst thing in the world. And it's still a fun watch. I still marvel at the special effects in this movie and and the things they pulled off especially with the ship spinning and them running up and down one second they're on the deck and then the next second they're on the bulkhead then you know they're on the overhead and it it was a wild ride uh for what it was so i'm with you guys so it's been a very interesting and fun discussion i i like when we have discussions where we're not always aligned on anything and, and we make each other think and both of you guys today uh, gave me a lot to chew on and you know it's sometimes I was like oh I think I think my opinion's starting to change and at the last minute it didn't and then other guys I went yeah it's you guys are right I'm wrong um, or, or or made me think about things a little differently so I love when that happens and that's what makes these shows fun because if we were all on the same page all the time boring um, absolutely so good time discussing this movie, but this isn't the only topic we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, The Ready Room. 50 years, there's been something to carry it this far in that yeah. vein of, hey, it's our, it's our generation or our era's mythic heroes that we can look up to. Do we dare put that in something that's lasted as long as you know literary wise shakespeare and some of the other myths of of you know the ancients that have found a purpose and a use that still speak to people women at warp admiral alan alda came to visit captain coretta scott king <laughs> meanwhile morale officer beyonce is uh trying to deal with her new weasley sweater and <laughs> They're all partying at the first contact party. Stage 9, a podcast about the people who make Star Trek. I'm going to take a moment just to say Stage 9 here on the Trek FM Network is the only show I'm aware of where you're going to hear somebody get this upset about camera technology. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So, Jeff, please let all our listeners know how they can access all avenues to Trek FM and how to find us. Well, you can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at Trek.fm. You can grab the RSS link there as well. And if you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. That makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes, and it helps us to increase our visibility for new listeners. 
So, uh, in that same vein, uh, Patreon. Patreon is the service Trek FM employs to receive donations for our listener-supported network. Uh, Zach and Jeff and Norm, all of us are, are don uh, make large donations to the network. Uh, we practice what we preach, and we appreciate whatever you can afford to help us to bring you interruption-free podcasting. So please log into Patreon. That's P A T R E O N dot com slash Trek FM. And see the perks you can receive for the level of donations you can afford. And they include exclusive content, uh, early content. We have AP producer credit. So $25 gets you uh, associate producer credit on any Trek FM show you'd like. Uh, Also, uh, for $15 a month, you you gain access to the patron roundtable. So... If you wanted to give your hand at podcasting and, and give it a whirl, uh, that's that's how I found my way on this network. Uh, I was on the very first patron roundtable over a year ago uh, with Jeff, coincidentally, and Norm, and it's it's been a wonderful ride from them. Now I've learned how to be an editor, and 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 I'm on a show, and it's unbelievable how these things evolve, isn't it? It's it's crazy. So a lot of good things, and, and we appreciate. Any of the support, any and all the support we get at Trek FM uh, and, and Standard Orbit. So uh, in in that vein, we would be completely remiss if we didn't talk about how wonderful our own associate producers are for Standard Orbit. Uh, they are Renee Roberts, Richard Rutledge, and Aaron Harvey. And, and, and we just we just love the three of them because for them to... to um, to donate as much as they do, and then select us uh, to 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 support is is very humbling. It it means a lot uh, from from the entire crew here, and it allows us to to keep these shows coming to you. So thank you again, Renee, Richard, and Aaron. Uh, we we do appreciate it. Uh, if you would like to find Renee, you can reach her at. Uh, on Twitter at MRESS, that's M-R-E-S-S underscore 1701. Uh, If you'd like to reach out to Richard, you can follow him on Twitter at Richard at R-U-T-8972. And Aaron Harvey at Gil... I can't say that right. Aaron Harvey at Geek Filter. And speaking of Aaron, if you want to wear his fantastic Trek FM designs, you can find them on Redbubble just on redbubble.com. Just type Trek FM into the search field. And you will find some of the, the best shirts and designs anywhere. Uh, if you would like to get in touch with us here on Trek FM, you can always find us on Trek FM slash contact. Look in the sidebar on the show page, or you can go to speakpike.com slash Trek FM. And please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at Trek FM, uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. And as we mentioned before, on the Babel Conference. Um, the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field, into Facebook, or go into your website at Trek FM and click the discussion menu bar. It's a closed group, but if you're new, you just you click join, and the admins will let you right in. So, Zach, what is your contact information? Well, if you want to find me on the network, I am on From There to Here a lot this year. It's the Trek FM's 50th anniversary rewatch of all 729 episodes of Star Trek. Uh, you can also find me personally on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm the host of my own podcast called Always Hold On to Smallville. And that's a podcast about that young Superman TV show. And you can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S, AlwaysMallville. AlwaysMallville. Okay, got it. Jeff, how can folks get in touch with you, sir? 
Well, if you don't have access to an Atavicron or even a cold start to your warp drive, you can always find me on the Babel Conference on Facebook. I am the co-host on the network for both Standard Orbit and Warp 5, Trek FM's dedicated Enterprise show. I'm also on Twitter, at Harlander, and I'm a supporter of the network through Patreon. You can check out my website, it's been called The Grand Unified Theory of Star Trek, at trekopedia.com, and my independent comic books at bandwidthcomics.com, or search on Facebook for Bandwidth Comics. So Norm, Norm was unable to to be with us again this week. Um, he was fooling around with the Atavagron. It It's a long story, but we should have him back by then. I know Jeff is working over there with our intrepid maintenance team, trying to get things up and running and pulling him back. I have a feeling he's with Zarabeth. What do you think there, Jeff? Uh, for his sake, I hope not, because uh, Spock's a little uh, physical uh, these days. <laughs> he can be, he can be, and uh, I would hate for Carol to find out. But at any rate, uh, if you would like to get in touch with Norm, you can always find him here on the network or on the Babel Conference. Uh, his his Facebook listener page uh, is where you can find him on the Babel Conference, or you can find him on Twitter at Starfighter1701. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. <laughs>